Last week we talked about how mercy is kind even to our enemies. And I encourage you, and, and sometimes it's not only our enemies, like people that are out to get us or something like that, but those people that are just, uh, there's a place in your heart where there's an irritation. Uh, uh, make sure over the holidays, again, be proactive. We said Jesus initiated it, right? Jesus went low. Jesus came to earth. Jesus came after us when we were still enemies. And we're all here today because of the grace of God in our lives. So let's go after even uh, those that maybe uh, uh, there's a place in our heart that's like, it's a little bit sticky or painful. Be intentional. Go go low. Go after those folks. And today I think it's fitting. We're talking about the topic on our final in a series here, Mercy Cares for the Lost. And I think it's fitting as we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas uh, this week how many of you know Jesus came on a mission of mercy? Jesus came on a mission assignment to rescue people. And I don't know if you saw on Facebook and some of the national media outlet the story of the Santa Claus supposedly who had the little boy that died in his arm. Anybody see that on Facebook? I guess now they're questioning whether it's true or not. But I was struck by this because it said, you know, this is a tear-jerking story. And it was about a little boy who uh, was five years old and he was dying of cancer. And uh, his parents said, you know what, we don't think he's going to be with us for Christmas this year. Uh, They got a Santa Claus character to come in, and they wanted this kid to be able to see Santa Claus and be able to give this young boy a toy. And as the story goes, and, you know, I'm reading this and trying to track along, supposedly this boy was laying in Santa's arms, and Santa said, hey, I heard you didn't think you are going to have Christmas. Well, I'm here, you're going to have Christmas, and here's a gift. And he gave this kid a toy, and right as he's giving this little kid a toy, the, the, the little boy dies. Uh, I'm sorry, right before, I'm sorry, I, got, I left out the important part. Before the little kid dies, he asks Santa Claus this question. He says, he says um, so how do I know when I get there? And Santa says to the little boy, when you get there, they never says in the story where he's supposed to have gotten, but when you get there, you tell them that you're my number one elf, and they'll let you in. And then the little kid dies. And Santa Claus was so broken over this that says he, he couldn't handle it, and he, he, he uh, uh, was, was just an emotional mess and so forth and so on. But I'm reading this story, and I'm thinking... Here's a little child, five years old, is asking an important question. How do I know when I get there? Meaning, whatever the next step of the journey is. How do I know when I get there? Five years old, looking at eternity. And, um, and the parents in this situation are focused on getting him in front of Santa Claus and getting him a toy, which he will never play with. And how many of you know it just kind of highlighted how during this season we can really get lost in um, the gift giving and forget why we celebrate Christmas. I mean, Christmas is really politically incorrect. You all know that. That's why we obscure it. Because Christmas basically says that we were lost, are lost, that we're looking at an eternity in hell, and that if God does not come and do something, our situation gets really, really ugly really, really fast. And I thought, you know, the the tears for this story is not that this little boy died with a gift in his arms and Santa holding him. The, the, the tears are that who knows whether this five-year-old child ever had an opportunity to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, ever heard the gospel. I don't know. I hope he did. But it drives home the reality that how many of you know Santa Claus is not going to save any of us, all right? Our gift giving is not going to save any of us. That this season is really about the mercy of Jesus Christ reaching out to lost people and providing us with genuine hope. Are we going to be merciful enough that we actually care about keeping people from spending an eternity in hell? And 
You know, sometimes even mentioning hell around Christmas times almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? We don't like to talk about the reality of hell. But I like to remind people, and I'm grateful that God did this in his wisdom, the number one authority in the Bible on the topic of hell is not Paul the Apostle, not Peter, not John. It's not the Old Testament prophets. The number one authority on the topic of hell is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus spoke about hell more than any other person. How many of you know if we believe what Jesus says about everything else, we have to believe what Jesus says about hell. We can't dismiss him. And when we look at the purpose for which Jesus came, I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is what Jesus said about why he came as that little babe in the manger that we like to celebrate. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came, the Bible says, to seek, to seek out, to go on a rescue mission, and to save the lost. That is, to deliver lost people out of danger and into safety. And I want to remind us this holiday season that lost people don't just need finding, they need saving. They need to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why, you know, even when we have these baptism classes, the most important thing we do is because, I mean, you know, you can, you can be in a church where you are water baptized, but you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. And you go through all the rituals and you are buried or sprinkled or whatever the church's tradition. You can go through all that. But if you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, you can get dunked a hundred times and still go to hell. It's not about the outward form or symbolism or ritual. It's about the inward encounter with the man Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus came. The baby in the manger, the baby in Mary's womb, ended up being the Savior who was crucified and buried in the tomb. Risen again the third day, seated at the Father's right hand, and is coming back for us. Christmas is about a rescue mission. It's about Jesus saving sinners. It's about Jesus coming and breaking into the world to rescue people from ourselves and from sin's hold upon us. In fact, the Bible says one of my favorite Christmas verses, maybe it's yours too. You shall call his name Jesus. Why is he given the name Jesus? Here's why. He will save his people from their sins. Christmas is about sin. Christmas is about the cross, ultimately. Christmas is about the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But it's also about us understanding our mission. And I I really want to encourage us. You know, this is our last Sunday uh, before Christmas. Of course, we've got our Christmas Eve service coming up on Saturday night. It's going to be a a lot of fun. That'll be uh, 4 o'clock, as we mentioned. We've got a Christmas morning service on Christmas Day itself, 10 o'clock or 10.30. But here's a reminder as we're looking forward to those... this weekend is that we have an incredible opportunity this season to show the mercy of Jesus by inviting people and witnessing to people, inviting them to come out to join you as a personal invitation to come out and worship with us this holiday season. Take a look here at Matthew, or I'm sorry, John chapter 17, verse 18. This is the Message Bible translation. I love the way it says this. It says, in the same way that you gave me a mission, in the world. Jesus is speaking here. I give them a mission in the world. The same mission Jesus had, this mission of mercy, this mission of redemption to go after the broken, the hurting, the lost, is the same mission he says, I've saved you for. Isn't that awesome? So what are we, here's what I want to shift in our brain this year. 
what are we doing this Christmas? In addition to the you know wonderful things we normally do with our families and friends and loved ones. We've been going to a lot of parties this week. It's been fun. We've been celebrating what God has done. But I mean, you know, Jesus came on a mission of mercy. We need to be on that same mission of mercy, John says right here. It was a mission of reconciliation to bring us back into right relationship with God. And I want you to look with me. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this. God has given us, everybody say us, this task. What's our task? Reconciling people back to God. What an amazing season to be a reconciler, to take people that are far from God, bring them close to God so that they can be reconciled to him. Our mission, here it is, is to pass on the mercy that we've received, to pass that mercy on to other people. And I, I want you just to pause right here. How many of you are grateful that you're born again, that you know Jesus Christ, that your future is secure, that hell is not a reality for your future? Amen? Here's what I want you to think about. Who were those people that God used in your life to lead you to Christ? They, they were on a, their own a mission of mercy for you. Who, who are the people that shared Christ with you? Who are the examples that you saw? You know, I, I am forever grateful for the Lord allowing me to grow up in a Christian home where knowing about Jesus, worshiping Jesus, that's why I see him Brady up here, five years old, you know, up front, right where the action is. Man, he was checking out the drums and checking out the worship. I mean, he was into it. What a great thing for a five-year-old to be experienced or exposed to lovers of Jesus, to the word of God, water baptism, to invite Jesus as a five-year-old boy into your heart and to have that as your future, um, uh, the Christ as your future. That's an amazing thing. It reminds us of the important role that moms and dads play, that our job is to make sure our kids are introduced to Jesus through our lifestyle, through the way that we live, through our convictions, through, through the, our values, through, through our integrity in the home. But who are those people? Maybe it was a teacher that witnessed to you. Maybe it was a pastor that shared Christ with you. Maybe you were watching television one day and somebody on television was talking about Jesus and all of a sudden it caught your ear and you might have prayed a prayer in a hotel room or, or where it doesn't have to be anywhere special, but somewhere somebody was on a mission of mercy for you. And somebody shared Christ with you. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for a mom and dad who took the time. I was seven years old when I walked down the center aisle of our church and had a nice red carpet down the, the middle, uh, traditional Christian church. And I went forward and as a seven-year-old boy, I, I made my profession of faith, Brady. I said, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. And I was baptized in front of our whole congregation. I still remember that. There are other times my dad was leading me the opposite way down the aisle to take me out to spank me because I was being bad at church and everybody just went, we'll pray for you, we'll pray for you as I walked out. Um, but uh, I remember that time when I came forward as a young boy. And I want to ask you this question. And so this is a serious question, all right? Ready for this? Is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? That's a great question, isn't it? We give lots of gifts, and I'm all for gift giving. We're going to give gifts this week, and people get blessed. We love on people. But you know, the greatest gift that anybody's going to be able to to thank you for is for enabling them to become your forever friend, literally best friends forever, like forever, forever. Uh, and those are the people, those are the things I want us to think about this holiday season. And every one of you should personalize this. Who will come up to you in heaven and say, thank you so much for taking the time to love me, to share Christ with me, to minister to me. If it wasn't for your witness, I would never be here. 
Now, there's a collective group that's going to happen because you know what? We had, you know, Amy and Rachel up here and you're hearing about some of the missions things that are going on in the nations of the world. I'm, I told you a few weeks back, I'm so grateful. Cora Lee was sending me pictures of, of the different church planting teams that have gone out from our Roar School that are planting churches, leading people in unreached villages to the Lord. How many of you know that's going to be on our account as Livingstone's church family? Because it takes a, it takes a tribe to see this kind of stuff done. But I really want us to personalize this this Christmas. Who are you going to personally be able to have someone look to you and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for, for sharing Jesus Christ with me? And you know what? Make history this Christmas. This Christmas can be different. There's people you can talk to between now and Christmas and even the new year and going into the new year. People you can begin to target uh, in prayer and, and ask that God would open doors to allow you to share him with them. Look at what it says here in 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. It says, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. That means he's in charge of every aspect of my life. And if somebody asks you about your hope, why do you have the hope that you have? Always be prepared to explain it. I was sharing this week, you know, I like to pray and start my day off with time in the word. I, I told you, I think before, and I encourage you to do this. I'm going through a read the Bible in a year plan. So every morning I just get on my iPad and I hit my button and there's my, my reading for the day. And I go through that and I meditate on it. I try to pull something out and post it on Facebook or Twitter or something like that to encourage somebody else. Uh, and then I ask the Lord, use me today. I mean, no, that's a great prayer. Use me today. Work through me. God set up divine appointments today. People that I will run into that you set up so that I can give them hope. And uh, we were at Planet Fitness this week, all right? And somebody was waving at me right there on the treadmill, waving at me. And I couldn't tell exactly who it was. And I, so I made my way over. And I recognized it was somebody that had his son had played baseball and football with my boys uh, years ago. And his, his son's grown up and moved on now. And, and he just said to me, hey, he goes, if you got just a couple minutes, I'd like to, to talk to you if it's okay before you leave. And I said, sure. So we pulled over to the side. We sat down. He began to share with me something that was going on with his son. And I could tell he was really, really burdened by what his son's going through. Uh, and all my job is at that moment, how many of you know we're just messengers of hope? We're just give hope to people. Say, hey, give me your son's number. Can I call your son? Can I meet with your son? Love to talk with your son. Just encourage your son. And you could just see hope come back into this father's eyes. How many of you know it's always good to brag about Jesus and what Jesus wants to do and is able to do? There are situations we deal with in life that to us look overwhelming or look intimidating or they look so big or, man, how can I, how can I bring solution to that problem? Here's the good news. You don't have to be the Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. And he does remarkable things. He sets people free. He, all we have to do is bring hope to people. And that's what this passage said. Be, always be ready. Uh, to share your hope as a believer. But look at, look at what it says next. This is so important. Do this in a manner that's gentle and respectful. How I many you know Jesus, when he was talking with lost people, he was always gentle with them and he always treated people with dignity and respect. You know, that's a good thing to remember when we're sharing the gospel with people. We're not yelling at them. We're not screaming at them. We're not telling them they're going to hell. We're offering hope. We're offering them life. We're treating them as people made in the image and likeness of God. We're treating them gently. Now, how I many you know Jesus was rough with people, but he was never rough with lost people? You know who he was rough with? Pharisees and hypocrites. 
he was really direct with them. He even spoke some names over them that would actually de- describe their character, like serpents and snakes and whitewashed sepulchers. I mean, Jesus spoke some strong words to those who pretended like they knew him, but who didn't know him. But to the lost, he was always gentle and kind and merciful. And that's just the beauty of Jesus. So we need to be the same way. But I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't do this on your own. Don't try this by yourself. Always gang up in a good way on lost people. It's kind of like gang tackling. My father used to coach football and he coached defense and, and he would always have a pocket full of peanuts, salted in the shell peanuts. And whenever his defense swarmed on the opposing opposite, I mean, tackle, fumble recoveries, interceptions, he would toss the defensive players peanuts. They were crazy. It wasn't the peanuts. It was the motivation to gang tackle. And so whenever I would play his team, I didn't like to play offense because they would hit you hard and then pile on in a legal way. But then, you know, he had some Christians that he led to the Lord said, always give you a hand and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know, pulling you up after they just creamed you, all right? But it was gang tackling. It was like a mob. Now, how many of you can picture in the spirit, now get in the spirit, not in the flesh, but gang tackling some lost people. What do I mean by that? It means you get your gang called your life group together. And you begin praying for lost people. You invite them out to hang out with you. You invite them out to a party. I heard of a group one time that they had season tickets to a certain sporting event. And they would always invite somebody to go with them that was unsaved. And they would hang out, have fun, enjoy the game. But eventually it got around to, why are all you guys having such a good time? And why do you all love each other so much? And that one group that was intentional about going simply to like a football game or a basketball game, but always bringing somebody with them that was far from Christ. They had so much fruit over the years of their ministry just by being intentional like that. You know, some of you that are sitting here in the audience, you you went out yesterday and you were caroling at different places, nursing homes and, and different places. And, and uh, it was really better than caroling. It was like a concert. It was amazing. Um, but I saw a picture posted on Facebook of a lady who uh, somebody had seen driving by in her picture window. She was in a hospital bed and just went up to that house and knocked on the door and said, hey, can we come in? We, we saw you through the window. We just want to bless you. They began to sing and min- they able to minister to this lady. It was a gang. It was a whole tribe of these people. It was a Holy Ghost possible of people loving on somebody else. How many of you saw on Facebook our young people were out at South Lake Mall holding big white crosses that said Merry Christmas on the cross uh, and just you know wishing people a Merry Christmas. They said people were honking and they got to talk to all kinds of people. Uh, it was just simply a demonstration of a group of people going out together and loving on people. And I just encourage you, don't feel like you have to do this by yourself. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. We work together, the Bible says, as partners who belong to God. We work together, we pray, we, we, we partner, we do whatever it takes to see our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers come to know Christ. Open up your Bible. I want to t- uh, go to a passage of Scripture here today in Luke chapter 5. It's a familiar story, it's an awesome story, of a group of people, excuse me, partnering together to impact somebody else for eternity. And I'm going to talk from this text about five ways so we can show mercy for lost people. And I'll go through this quickly this morning. But look with me at Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says, One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. 
It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And we all know from history, these folks were not there because they were hungry, as Pastor Dick challenged us, hungry for the glory of God. They were there as skeptics and critics. They were there to attack Jesus. But they were there, and it says the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, and they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. And so they went up to the roof, they took off some of the tiles, and then they lowered this sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Verse 20 says, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Says Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turns to this paralyzed man and he commands him. He says, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And immediately upon the spoken word of Jesus, as everyone watched, the Bible says this man jumped up and he picked up his mat and he went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Isn't that awesome? Let me pull out five principles from this chapter just to challenge us over the next several weeks and into the coming new year with how we can show mercy for lost people. How many of you know the first principle we see is the principle of compassion? Nothing would have happened if a group of people didn't care. Now, maybe, you know, nothing happens in our lives unless we care. You can go on being so busy. You can go on with your life. You can go plugging ahead with the busyness of the holiday season. But if we don't stop long enough to simply care, nothing happens. That guy would have laid there, been paralyzed for the rest of his life, and probably died a paralytic. But he had a group of people in his life that actually cared about him and cared about the condition of his soul. And caring is so important because remember we said in the earlier weeks, if we don't demonstrate that we care and we don't demonstrate love, then the hearts of people simply aren't open. So the simplest thing to loving people and witnessing to people is just go do something nice. Just go serve somebody. You know, the blessing of snow, I say this to all the young people out here. Do you want to find one of the greatest ways you can demonstrate the love of Jesus is to find a senior citizen in your community that's snowed in right now, grab some shovels, dress warm, go over to find somebody's house right within walking distance and just with no invitation, shovel their sidewalks, shovel their driveway, do it with a smile on your face. And before you leave, if you have a, normally they'll, they'll notice that you're out there. And if you do it, just say, you know what? I just wanted to let you know, Jesus Christ loves you. And so do we. Um, you know, there's some work involved, uh, but I'll tell you what, nothing communicates the love for somebody than by going and serving them with no strings attached, just serving them, demonstrating your love for Jesus in that way. All right, let me, I'm going to skip on down here to the second principle, just for the sake of time this morning. Principle number two is the pr- principle of cooperation, working together. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, after all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. Paul says, I planted seed in your hearts. Apollos came along. He watered the seed. But here's the part I want you to see. It's God. Everybody say God. It's God who made it grow. 
It's not important who does the planting. It's not important who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters, notice this, they work together with the same purpose in mind. Both will be rewarded. You know, I love hearing the testimonies during the water baptisms. You know, some of you have been coming here, you've been sitting under the word. How I many you know all I'm doing every Sunday when we, when we read the word, and I like to, I like to pepper you with lots of scripture because you know what? It's the word of God that has the power. We hear the word. The word goes into our heart. Somebody else waters that. And guess what happens? You begin to supernaturally grow. You begin to have a hunger for Jesus. You begin to, you begin to have a desire to know him. I just got to encourage parents again. You know, never let your 10 year old make a decision about when and where they're going to worship Jesus. Grab their little tail in, put it in the car, drive it here and say, our family worships on Sunday morning because you know what happens when you're in an atmosphere over and over and over again of the seed, the seed, the water, the seed, the water. God is the one that at a certain moment in that child's life makes it all come together, makes it connect. God does this. And I just want to encourage you. Who's the one that's going to save the person at work that's, that's, that's such a pagan? Who's going to save that person? God is going to save that person. But who's going to plant the seed? Who's going to water that seed? That's our responsibility. We do the planting. We do the watering. God causes it to grow. Figure out what you like to do and simply ask some unbelievers to come along with you so you don't get so insulated uh, in church, so insulated with your Christian friends. Find those people that you work with or whatever that really need you to go after them. Who's going through a rough time right now? Who's maybe hurting? Who's discouraged? Those are the people we need to really target. Let me go to point number three here. We talked about the principle of compassion, the principle of cooperation, working together. Let's talk about faith for a minute. The principle of faith. Jesus said this, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to ask you a question. How can you see faith? In this situation, let me tell you how Jesus saw faith. Right in the middle of his great message, ceiling tile starts being torn off. The next thing he knows, a man on a mat starts being let down through the roof, suspended in midair right before Jesus as he's teaching. How many of you know that is faith? That's faith you can see. That's not faith without works. That's faith with works. These guys... These guys, I don't know how far the distance was between where this man was laying paralyzed and where Jesus was ministering, but I don't know if you've ever carried a, a body on a, on a mattress or on a, a gurney, or if you've been a pallbearer or something like that, carrying around a body for any distance is hard work. You're, you're grabbing this mat, you're, you're carrying them along, all of a sudden you get there, the place is packed, you can't get in. These guys decided, we're not taking no for an answer. They, they carried this body up on the roof and then somehow suspended this body right before Jesus. This is incredible. Jesus said, I can see your faith, not the man's faith, not the paralyzed man's faith. He's looking up on the roof and he's seeing their faith. What are the demonstrations where, where you're basically saying, look, if I can get Uncle Fred before Jesus, I know Jesus can touch him. If I can get this guy at work to hear the gospel or to be part, how many of you believe that the church culture should be transformational? Like people should sense the tangible love and presence of God among us. You with me? In fact, I want to tell you, we have a responsibility. We have a mandate from Jesus that when people come into this environment where Jesus is, they do not leave the same way in which they came. 
That's our responsibility to love people, serve people, help people, invest in people, care for people, worship the king so that the presence of God is tangibly felt. That's my responsibility and your responsibility. But how many of you say this? If I can just get so-and-so just to try the Christmas Eve service, I know they will enjoy themselves. I know they will hear the gospel because we're going to preach the gospel uh, on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. That should be our attitude, that kind of faith that will do whatever it takes to love people, whatever it takes to touch people. Which leads me to the next point. It's the principle of action. This guy was paralyzed and this guy wasn't moving anywhere. How many of you know there are people that are surrounding us that are paralyzed in a myriad of different ways? Some of them are paralyzed in sin and they just can't get out. Some of them are paralyzed emotionally. They're full of pain. They're full of hurt. They're stuck in the past. They're paralyzed in the past. Some people are paralyzed with relational stress and things right now. Some people are paralyzed with financial burdens and concerns. I mean, there's people, there's, and there's people for the obvious point of the text, there's people physically paralyzed. There's people sick. There's people that need a healing touch from Jesus. If this guy would have tried to get to the Lord by himself, it was an impossibility. He needed people to act. He needed people that cared. He needed people to show up. He needed people to call. And, you know, I encourage you this week. One of the things I'm going to do this week is I'm going to send a an invitation. Because uh, here's the deal. I, I hang out at church with mostly saved people. We're praying for Pastor Dick. He's right on the edge. Join me in prayer. I'm hoping he falls... He falls into the kingdom. You know, my dad just came in this last year. It's really exciting. Um, Marion, she's a little shaky at times, but we're trying to get her in as well. Um, my point is, I hang out with some great people all week long. And, uh, and, and all of them know Jesus. So guess what? I have to be intentional about finding lost people. Now that's good and bad at the same time. It's good that I work with such great people. But you know what? I can't be content with that. So fortunately, my, my best pool right now is my son, Johnny. He's playing basketball. And guess when they schedule basketball practice? Right now. So guess what I know about those people? They're not in church. We are in church. We're asking that less practice equals more anointing on the jump shot. That's what we're asking God for. Less practice, more anointing. Supernatural ability, natural ability. We're going for the supernatural. So I have a clue that I know where all these people are. So I'm going to send a personal invitation to all the parents to come out on Christmas Eve. It doesn't even have to be Sunday morning. Christmas Eve on Saturday. Um, and, and I'm going to say, why don't you come out and be a part of our celebration? Now, I'm willing to do that this week. I'm asking you, will you partner with me and pray that all these wonderful parents and their kids, their sons come and then we have a Holy Ghost basketball team that practices Monday through Saturday. Uh, that's the kind of basketball team I am believing for. All right. Um, let's go after people. That's the point there. Invite people out. I encourage you this week, invite somebody out. Everybody should have a personal goal. I'm going to invite somebody out, either Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. Somebody's going to get an invitation from me. As some of you say, well, Pastor, you know, I'm not really big on talking to people. I let my life speak for itself. Let me ask you a Dr. Phil question. How's that working for you? When you walk into the workplace, do people fall to their faces and say, please tell me about Jesus because the glory coming off your life is so powerful that you don't even have to speak. And I know that I'm 
convicted of my sin and I need to come to Christ. Let me help you with the answer to that question. No, that's not happening in your life. It's not happening in my life either. Which means this. People need to see the gospel in audio and visual. Keep being visual. Keep being Mr. Nice Guy. Keep serving people. But at some point, how many of you know the gospel has content? You have to tell people about sin. You have to tell people about repenting. You have to tell people about Christ and the hope that he brings. You have to share that with them. But you can do it through your own life. It doesn't have to be theological. It can be your experience and how Christ has changed your life. Hey, here's what Jesus did to me. Charlie, I love your testimony. Because you're saying, look, you know, God's been dealing with me over the last how many months. And I'm not, I know I need to change. And I know there's some things that I was doing that I, that were destroying me and destroying my marriage and destroying my family. That right there is a testimony that I guarantee you there's a world of people out there that say, you know what? I needed to hear that. What, hey, what did you do? What's happening in your life? Tell me about this Jesus and how he changed your life. And that, that, you don't have to be a theologian to share all that. You just need to say, this is how Christ has changed me. We all have a testimony in this room. And we all know enough of the gospel that we can lead somebody to a relationship with Jesus. Let me end with this. And this is such a great principle. It's the principle of persistence. These guys did not let the opposition or the challenges discourage them. Some of you have said, oh, man, I've tried sharing with that uncle, whatever, and he's, oh, man, is he a scoundrel? He just makes fun of me. He doesn't listen to me. You know what? Keep sharing. Keep inviting. Keep loving. Keep reaching out. Let's keep believing God. I mean, these guys did not take the crowd or the roof or having to rip off the tile with their own hands, drop their buddy down. I mean, they just said, we are going to keep doing whatever it takes. And I don't even know if you do that and you persist and you have a whatever it takes mentality. You'll do bold, unusual, risky, costly things, but you'll do something that will catch somebody's attention and eventually will lead someone to Christ. What are, here's a question. What are you willing to do to bring a friend to Christ? And I want to end with this thought right here. And I want to pray with us. Now, the Bible says God's not willing. Jesus doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He wants everybody to repent, everybody to come to a relationship with him. So here's, here's what I think we could all use. And tell me if, if I'm right. Can anybody use a greater heart of compassion and mercy for lost people like you like you want to feel what Jesus feels I mean, what does Jesus feel this Christmas season what's what's on his wish list I'll tell you what's on his wish list he wants to bring sons and daughters home he wants to bring people that are estranged from him he wants to bring them into the kingdom but I don't know about you but sometimes it's very easy to get wrapped up in your own home your own family your own gifts your own traditions your own celebrations and basically here's what we're saying in so many words when we don't care you know, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. My family's all saved. Praise the Lord. We're just going to enjoy the holidays. What we're really saying is it doesn't really matter if there's people that are in our world that are going to hell. And I know no one, no one in this room would say, oh yeah, that's exactly what I feel. But that's sometimes how our actions communicate. Who, here's, here's my question. Who is it? Who is it? Who's that person? Who's the face in your life that you know right now, if, if Christ were to come, or they were to die, like this little five-year-old boy, if they were to die, are they going to spend eternity with Jesus? And you know, the answer is probably no. They don't know Christ. They're not living for God. They don't, Christ isn't Lord of their lives. There might be some of you here this morning as we're ramping up to Christmas. Have you completely surrendered your life to Christ? Have you repented of your sin? The babe in the manger came for that very reason, to rescue you. 
Isn't that crazy? A babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger, is a deliverer of people, a rescuer, undercover rescuer. How awesome is that? The little babe that Mary's holding in her arms is going to be the one that saves Mary from her sins. It's awesome. It's staggering. That little baby, though, isn't a little baby anymore. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's getting ready to come back with authority and power and awesomeness. No one's going to miss him. He came in secret on his first advent. On his second advent, no one's going to miss him. Uh, and the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You know, we want to make sure we're ready, first of all, but then we want to make sure that people that God's put in our path uh, we want to make it as hard as we possibly can for anybody who knows us to go to hell. Amen? That's a good prayer. As hard as it possibly can be. If you know me or you know my family, I want to make sure it is as hard as it possibly can be for you to miss the gospel from having been in relationship with me. How about you? You up for that prayer? Stand to your feet. Let's pray. And, and here's what I want us to do as we close. Ask the Lord to lay somebody by the Holy Spirit Ask the Lord to lay somebody on your heart right now that you're going to pray for. And you're just going to simply say, hey, our family's going to worship on Christmas Eve. Or our family's going to worship on Christmas morning. Why don't you come along with it? We'll pick you up. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll go pick you up. Afterwards, we can go out for dinner or whatever. Go out for breakfast. Whatever your, your thing is. But let's ask the Holy Spirit to put somebody on our hearts or our minds that we can do that with, all right? Lord, we're standing here with our hearts wide open, asking you to do a couple of things. First of all, Jesus, help us to feel what you feel as you look at a world that's fallen and broken and hurting and far from you and how you are longing to bring this planet near and dear to you, that none should perish, but that all would come into the full knowledge of Jesus. Lord, we agree with your heart and we pray that you would use us to fulfill the answer to your prayers. Lord, bring people to our minds. Give us favor this week. God, may we see this church full on Saturday night with lots of unsaved people. Lord, on Sunday morning, Christmas morning, and we celebrate, Lord, may this be full to the brim with people that need a Savior and that need a touch from you, God. People that are paralyzed, God by life and by, by sin and by Satan. God, set people free. Use us to touch people even this week. God, give us your eyes of compassion. Give us your, your hands that are willing to reach out and be part of the solution. God, help us to love people in tangible ways and God, to bring people to Jesus because Jesus is the Savior, the one who sets us free from our sin. Lord, thank you for this wonderful season. Give us safety as we leave, Lord. Uh, use us mightily now, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen.